Well, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, if you would. Proverbs chapter 3. And we looked a few weeks ago at some insights from the, from the first half of Proverbs chapter 3. And, and I began by just giving you a, an overview of the book, just kind of an outline, um, and, and how Proverbs fits into, into the redemptive scene, how it fits into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think that that's, that that's helpful, even necessary, because I think it's easy for us, especially as Christians, to see the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms uh, almost like this, this, these two hangy things that, are, that uh, dangle from the Old Testament but aren't connected uh, to, to the whole because we have the New Testament and then we typically love to go to Proverbs and Psalms, which I praise God for, for that. I'm thankful that you go to Proverbs and Psalms. I do as well. But Proverbs and Psalms are part of the, part of the, uh, the Old Testament part of the whole counsel of, of God. And, it, and Proverbs is known as what's called wisdom literature, along with Job and Ecclesiastes and, and Song of Solomon. And then there's some wisdom psalms. And, and how Proverbs fits into the Christian life or, or the life of, of a person who's in covenant with God is that Proverbs gives us help to, to redeem life. You remember in the garden that God created Adam, He created man and woman, and He placed them in His creation to, to dress it and keep it. God, it's the pinnacle of His creation, was man who was made in His image, and then He placed us on the earth in creation in order to have dominion over it, to, to work in it, to dress it and keep it as God's representative. And you know, after the fall, everything went south. I mean, the, the, the great, the first sin that's recorded after the fall was Cain and Abel, murder. That's how far the fall, uh, that's how far man fell. That's how significant of an impact the fall had. And then you come up to this, this passage in Genesis 6 before God tells us about the global flood and he talks about every Every intent of man's heart was continually evil all the time. It, it just, there's no way around how wicked man is. But you remember the, how Genesis 6 begins. It talks about the sons of God and the daughters of Eve. And, and the, that passage has, you know, has uh, uh, I think, killed a number of trees with commentaries of who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of Eve. But the big issue that's going on there is the people, human beings, are living on the earth, contrary to their Creator. They are they're, um, creating harems. They're not being fruitful and multiply. They're not filling the earth. They're, they're doing their own thing. And you can even see that in the Tower of Babel, right? They gather together and they build a temple for their own praise. They're, again, all of these pictures in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is to show how man is not doing what God put him on the earth to do. The fall had an effect, and in a, human beings are living on their own. They're, they're, they're not taking dominion. They're not filling the earth. They're, they're not being one man and one woman for a lifetime with a whole bunch of, of kids spreading everywhere. They're, 
in Genesis 6, they're killing each other in order to, to, to garner large groups of, of, uh, of lady folk to themselves. And then in Genesis 6, they are uh, they're staying in one place. They refuse to move. And so God moves them along in both ways. Genesis 6, he moves them by killing everyone, by bringing a global flood. But he shows grace to, to, to Noah, chooses Noah to be the one who would perpetuate or continue mankind. And then in the Tower of Babel, what does God do? He scatters them, confuses their language and scatters them in order to fulfill what he commanded, which was to go into the all, go into all of, uh, of the earth. And you can look in the Old Testament in a number of places and you can see the, the effect of, of the fall. Well, Proverbs, the, the intention of wisdom, the intention of the, of the book of Proverbs is to show us how to live rightly on the earth. And so that's how it connects into redemption. It provides principles that makes one wise. And it is provided to the believer to help us to live on the earth in a way that's pleasing to, to God. It's obviously redemption involves restoring man to his proper function. And Proverbs assists us in doing that. Wisdom is part of worship. So obeying God comes from the heart. The very foundation of Proverbs, as we looked at last time, is the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord. And over and over and over, the book of Proverbs uses capital L-O-R-D, which is Yahweh, addressing God's covenant people. And, and then as we're going to see tonight, Proverbs applies the law. The section that we're going to look at in Proverbs tonight, right in the middle of it, it has, an, it has uh, an application of Leviticus. And I think you'll find it interesting and helpful. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 21, and we'll read through verse 35. My son, let wisdom not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So there will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor trouble, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. Notice it's Yahweh there. And will keep your foot from being caught, or keep your foot from, from stumbling. Do not withhold good. Here's where Leviticus starts. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. Do not envy the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. End of Leviticus. For the perverse man is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. Summary statement of what he's just said, verse 32. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory or honor but shame shall be the legacy 
of fools. Good stuff in those passages. Notice, if you would, in verse 21, my son. That begins the fourth parental or paternal appeal of the book. I told you if you, wanna, you want hooks for to hang the sections of Proverbs on, you can go and find these, my sons. That's, that's a, an appeal. Here is Solomon communicating to, to his son the things that David communicated to him and obviously under the inspiration of, of the Lord. We looked last time in Proverbs 1. It, it gives us the audience. Who was Proverbs written for? It was, it was written for the simple, for the youth. It was written for the child. It was written for the, the person who's young, the person who lacks understanding. And it was also written for the wise. It makes the, it makes the simple wise and makes the wise wiser. And so you never outgo Proverbs. But Proverbs is written in the, in the format of parent to child, at least a, a large portion of it. So we're going to bring up a, sh- a slide, and we're going to show you the, the paternal appeals. And um, you've got the first one, which is found in... They didn't put up the, the verses. Let me give you these. The first paternal appeal is in chapter 1, and... Um, beginning in verse 8, and that's avoid greed and unjust gain. That's the first, my son. The second one, second paternal appeal, is obtain wisdom. And that's in chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. The third paternal appeal is fear the Lord. That's what we looked at last time. That's in Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. And the fourth one is what we just read. We're going to look at tonight. Walk in wisdom's ways. And that begins in verse 21 and goes through the end of, end of the, the chapter. Some pretty good advice. Um, as we've sarcastically said before, when you read the Bible and you read like these things in Proverbs, you can totally understand why the government took the Bible out of school in, in the United States, right? I mean, it's just got such horrible advice in it. Avoid greed and unjust gain... Be wise, fear God, and walk in wisdom's ways. Such horrible advice for young children. And yet here, this fourth paternal appeal uh, gives us instruction on, on how to walk securely in, in wisdom. And so, I haven't put that slide up for you just to see where we're at in the flow of, of Proverbs. And, and now here's the... Um, the actual outline for this section that we're going to look at tonight. This fourth paternal appeal to walk in the ways of wisdom gives us instruction on how to walk securely in wisdom. Think of it this way. The first part of Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom. You want to be a wise man or woman? Where do you start? Fear the Lord. And we looked at Gives us, gives us instructions of how we cultivate fear of the Lord. Now, this last part of chapter 3, once you become wise, once you laid hold of wisdom, keep it. Hold on to it. How do you walk securely in it? How do you live your life in wisdom? So, the first part of chapter 3 is get wisdom through fearing the Lord. The second part of chapter 3 is once you fear the Lord, once you gain wisdom... 
live your life in that in that way. You might call this section the anti-frozen section. You know, the movie, Frozen. Look at verse 1. Lay hold of wisdom and don't let it go. Right? Let it go. Don't let it go. Look at verse 21. He says, My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep wisdom and discretion. You get the same set up here. Two verses, and they connect together. A statement in the first part of verse 21, further explained in the second part. Let not wisdom depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Don't lose sight. Keep sound wisdom. God appeals to those who find wisdom not to let it go. He says you should not lose sight of it, meaning keep it before your eyes. You you should guard it with great diligence. That's what he means here. Let them not depart from your eyes. It's a, it's a way of saying, don't lose sight of it. Don't, don't gain it and then let it go. Once you get wisdom, once you get the way of wisdom in your focus, don't take your eyes off of it. Be diligent. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. It has this idea of, of diligent, of guarding it. Keep it before your eyes and guard it with, with great diligence because wisdom is, is very valuable. Automaker Henry Ford asked an electrical genius, Charlie Steinmetz, to build generators for his factory. And one day the generators ground to a halt and the repairman couldn't find the problem. So Ford called Steinmetz who tinkered with the machines for a few hours, then threw a switch, and the generators whirled to life. And Henry Ford was greatly pleased until he got the bill for $10,000 for a few hours of work. Flabbergasted, the rather tight-fisted car maker inquired why the bill was so high to Steinmetz. And Steinmetz replied, for tinkering with the generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. And Henry Ford paid the bill. It's one thing to be able to tinker it's with life. It's another thing to know where to tinker. And being a wise man or woman, God's Word will tell you where to tinker. And once you know that, it's a great value. And you are to keep that in focus. You're not to let it go. And I told you, shared with you before, one of the things that I am learning for the first time as a, as a believer is that the longer I'm a Christian, the more I find myself having to reconquer things that I thought I already conquered. You know what I'm saying? Like when you, you first get saved, your first five to ten years of your Christian life, you... You just pursue the Lord and you overcome and, and you fight and you battle and sometimes it's easy to overcome, sometimes it's difficult, but you conquer whatever it is, meaning that you're not completely inoculated from it, but it doesn't come up as much. And then in my mind, okay, I'm done with that. What's the next sin pattern or problem I have in my life? I'm finding the longer I'm saved, the more those come back up. And, I'm, and at, at first I'm... I'm troubled by this. What, what's going on? You know, I, 
I fixed that problem seven years ago. At least that's what my mind is thinking, and that's poor thinking. And here you have the idea of, of wisdom. Once you have wisdom in, in focus, wisdom can be applied at year 7 or year 37. And wisdom will help you to work on those areas uh, of, your, of your life. Wisdom maybe gets you a good paycheck, like Charlie Steinmetz, but but chapter 2 says wisdom is more valuable than silver and and gold. That's why he says don't let it depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Wisdom is more valuable than gold because it guides your life. Think of it this way. What do you do with your money? Well, you... Put your money in a bank, or if you have it at your house, you don't trust the bank, you hide it under your mattress, you put it in a safe, you bury it in a mason jar out in the backyard. Why are you trying to do that? Because it's valuable to you. How much more valuable is the wisdom of God? How much more, once we lay hold of the wisdom of God, must we keep it before our eyes, must we pursue it? If you protect your money, how much more should we guard ourselves from losing the wisdom that we've gained or losing the focus? Which is what he's trying to say here as he starts out. Don't let wisdom depart from your eyes. Keep it. Guard sound wisdom and discretion. There's a story about a proud young man who came to Socrates asking for knowledge. And he walked up to the to the philosopher and said, Oh, great, Socrates, I come to you for knowledge. Socrates recognized that this young man was, was pompous, and so he leads the young man through the streets, takes him down to the sea, wades him out chest-deep water, and pauses and said, What do you want? Knowledge, oh, why, Socrates, said the young man with a smile. And so Socrates puts his hand on the man's shoulders and pushes him underwater and counts 30 seconds and then lets him up. What do you want? He asked again, and wisdom, the young man said, oh, great, wise Socrates. So he crunched him under again, and this time he, he counts to 35, 40 seconds, and he let him up. He asked him the same question. What do you want, young man? And being heavy with, breaths and wheezing, knowledge, oh, wise and wonderful. And Socrates jams him under the water again before he can get it out. And he counts 40 seconds, 50 seconds, brings him up. What do you want? Air, the man screeched. I want air. I need air. And Socrates says, when you want knowledge as you have just wanted air, then you will find knowledge. Do you see God's wisdom like air? I mean, for a Christian, the Word of God to us is like air. It's like the air that you breathe. As I said this morning in my own personal prayer life, it's very easy to have other things crowd in. It's very easy to have leeches or something from the world to stick a siphon hose in your gas tank for God, however you want to say it. And you come back to the fact that you know, give me the Lord or I die. Give me the truth or 
for I, I have nothing else. When you desire wisdom like air, that's, that's, the, that's the idea of verse 21. Now, son, let not wisdom depart from your eyes. It's like air. Keep, guard it like treasure. And he explains why in verse 22 and 23. So there will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. You see how that's connected together? So here's the paternal instruction. Walk in, in the wisdom that you've obtained. Guard it. And it will be life to your soul. And it will bring security to your life. Verse 22, it will bring life to your soul. Wisdom leads to life, doesn't it? Verse 23, then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. That's a way of saying wisdom will bring security in your life. Wisdom brings security. Lacking God's wisdom, lacking God's truth will provide for an unsteady life. Look at the world. People wobble all over the time. Do you remember when I was a kid, there was this little toy called Weebles? You remember Weebles? Boy, I'm just dated myself. Some of you are going, a, a, a wee what? A Weeble. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You remember that? They look like little eggs with a thing in That was before your time. That was after your time. You had a howdy duty, what you had. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Christians may wobble from the winds of waves of life, but they don't fall down. You can't, you can't keep a good man down. A righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. And yet the world is is unsteady. You want to live an unsteady life? Neglect the Bible. You want to, to find security in your life? Dig into the Word of God and gain wisdom. And once you gain wisdom, guard it and don't let it go because it will bring stability. He's just described all of this in verses 13 through 20. Look back at verse 13 through 20. It's a section. If you want to break down chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 is that first, my son, that first instruction, fear the Lord. Or, and then he talks in verses 13 and 20 about wisdom. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and a man who gains understanding. And then he personifies wisdom like a woman. Her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. He's talking about wisdom here. And all the things that you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness and all her paths of peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happy are all who retain her. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. He goes back to creation. God used... Wisdom, he built wisdom into creation. By understanding, he established the heavens by knowledge. The depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down and dew. My son, 
Let them not depart from your eyes. Let not wisdom depart from your eyes. Keep wisdom and sound discretion because it will bring life to your soul and it will bring security to you as you, as you walk and your foot will, will not stumble. In that little ode to wisdom who is personified as a woman in verses 13 through 20, he says, wisdom is a treasure. Wisdom brings peace and blessing. Wisdom will guide you in life because its principles are built into creation itself and obtaining it will bring security. What, what kind of security? Look at verses 24 through 26. A wise man, this goes back to your outline, a wise man has a secure life. He's going to get into the specifics of what kind of security wisdom brings. A wise man has a secure life, and a wise man has peace in his soul, and a wise man has no fear of death. Lay hold of wisdom and don't let it go. It, you're walking securely in wisdom, or wisdom brings security. And, and he says here, in verse 23, then you'll walk safely in your way. Well, what does that look like? Verse 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. A wise man has a, has a secure life. I had a friend, he was my best friend growing up. He was the best man in my wedding and, and everybody wanted to be like him. He's still alive. I have one friend that was in my wedding, sadly, that's that's dead, and as far as I know, never put his faith in Christ. Um, died of a drug overdose. This man is is still alive, and everybody wanted to be like him because he was he was the guy who uh, um, just flew by the seat of his pants. I mean, you may be talking to him on Thursday, and on Friday he'd call you from Florida. Just take up and go wherever he wanted. I remember whenever he was about 19, he just decided he was going to go to California and work. So he went to California and just got a job and got an apartment on Redondo Beach, and he would send us pictures of, of walking on the beach. Man, everybody wanted to be like that guy because he didn't seem to have have a care in the world. He didn't seem like there was anything that held him back. It, it might seem envious. I thought of him as I was reading this passage. It might seem envious to fly by the seat of your pants never worrying about anything, but that's not reality. A successful person, a wise person is a diligent person. It's a responsible person. And what fly by the seat of your pants type of, of life Promises is not what it will get you, right? It promises all kinds of things it just can't deliver. A successful person is a diligent person, and it's one who, who studies his path. A wise person studies their path. I found this very helpful. Tim Hansel tells the story. When I was in my late 20s, a bunch of my friends and I decided to sail around the world. I have to admit, though, at the time I was a bit worried. I hadn't, ever, I hadn't even sailed before. I was uneasy and anxious. So I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and praying about it until it dawned on me 
what God was whispering to my heart. Tim, I'll give you peace if you read some books on sailing. The reason you're anxious is not due to lack of prayer, but your lack of sailing knowledge. (laughs) It wasn't I was unprayerful, unskillful. It wasn't that I was unprayerful, I was unskilled. So I took a step, I needed to... I needed to take to let God's peace work in my heart. I began reading about sailing. It's a great illustration of how wisdom connects with, with, with God. A wise life is a secure life. If you, if you follow wisdom, you'll find peace in your soul. Look at verse 24 again. When you lie down, you'll not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be, will be sweet. He's talking about being able to lay your head on your pillow at night without fear. Wisdom will, will give you security in that way. It will give peace for your soul. It brings security in life. You'll walk safely in your way. Your foot will not stumble. It, a wise man has peace in his soul. You'll lie down and you'll not be afraid and... You'll lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do you know how much was spent in 2012? I couldn't get the statistics before tonight on 2013. So do you know how much was spent on in the United States alone, the U.S., on sleep remedies? $32 billion on sleep remedies. According to Time magazine... Last year, 73% of American Internet users went online to research health information. So 73% of people in the U.S. Googled something about health, health information. Of that 73%, 43% looked specifically for sleep remedies. That's staggering. According to the National Sleep Foundation... 56% of Americans say they didn't get a good night's sleep on a typical work or school night. That means that you've got 44% that don't get a good night's sleep. It's almost half. Insufficient sleep was connected in their study to a host of problems from hypertension to depression to anxiety to diabetes to improper immune functioning to forgetfulness, clumsiness, jumpiness, and even things like sports injuries. Now clearly there's some physical issues that could lead you to lose sleep. Um, I still remember how Woody admonished you 60 plus saints of God that it is a blessing that God wakes you up in the middle of the night and that you can't sleep because that's the Lord waking up to pray. Now, I can't say that because I'm not there yet. But Woody can say that to you, to me, to everybody else because he probably does pray when he wakes up at night. When you get older, you you don't sleep as well. You can have physical issues that can keep you from, from sleeping. But what about when there's anxiety in the soul or there's some other problem in life? Do you sleep well whenever the bills are tight? Do you sleep well whenever there's conflict in your life? There are things that can steal your sleep. and Here he promises the way of wisdom will change that. 
Proverbs says, A wise life lived before God will provide rest for your soul. God gives His beloved sleep. Because you don't fear what comes next. Here's a great illustration from church history about sleep. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake by Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, because of his witness for Christ. On the night before Ridley's execution, he knows he's going to the stake, he knows he's going to the flames. So the night before this is going to happen, his brother offered to remain with him in prison in the chamber to be of assistance and comfort. And Ridley declined the offer and replied to his brother that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord who would meet him after the flames. Now that's peace. Would I have that peace? Wow, I don't know. I do believe that the Lord will provide the grace for whatever it is that he leads you to go through, but not until you go through it. So you probably couldn't know that until you were facing the flames the next day for the cause of Christ. But many of you have not faced the flames of Bloody Mary. You face the flames of life, and you know that God can give you peace in the midst of that. Things that have come into your life that should have rocked you to the core, you go, I just don't understand it. I mean, yeah, it hurts, and yeah, it's difficult, but the peace of God is reigning in my heart. That's a gift of the Lord. Look at verse 25. A wise man has peace because there's no reason to fear. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked whenever it comes. He mentions sudden terror and the ruin of the wicked. There's two ways to take that second phrase, trouble from the wicked or trouble that comes upon the wicked. I like the second one. Don't be afraid of sudden terror or calamity that comes upon the wicked. He's talking about what comes suddenly, and judgment clearly will come suddenly upon those outside of of Christ. I mean, how many things can you count just in the last week that you could say is a sudden tragedy? Almost 300 people died on that plane. 80 of them children? I mean, I, I was just teared up today looking at a picture of a, of a little child's um, suitcase, a little pink suitcase that had coloring books strung all over the, of a Romanian field. And you just put yourself in, in their shoes thinking about it. They're getting ready on vacation, and they get on the plane, and, and they don't intend on anything to happen, and then something like that takes place. Sudden tragedy. Thirteen Israeli soldiers died in Gaza last night. Their families knew they were going into harm's way, but I doubt any of those 13 guys were thinking, today is the day I'm going to die. Then it was possible, and it probably happened suddenly. And while that's possible in life, those who know the Lord aren't terrified by those things. Look at what it says in verse 26. Where does the security come from? Where's the peace from in your soul? Where does being able not to fear sudden tragedy come from? Verse 26, For the Lord, Yahweh, will be your confidence 
the covenant God, His good providence being worked out in your life, that's where you put your hope. God is in control of my life. My quote I like from Stonewall Jackson, I can feel as safe in the battlefield as I do in the bed. God has appointed a time for my death. I do not concern myself with those matters. That's what he's talking about here. For the Lord will be your confidence. And you'll keep your foot from being caught. Former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences and historians from England, Egypt, Germany, and India calculated this based upon the best information that they had since 3600 B.C. It's not perfect what I'm getting you to tell you because we don't have all the history. But based on the history we have, these eggheads came up with this statement. Since 3600 B.C., the world has only known 292 years of peace. 3600 B.C. is 2014, and out of that period of time, almost 6,000 years, the world has only known 292 years of peace. And during that period, there have been 14,351 recorded wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of property destroyed during that period of time would pay for a golden belt that would strap around the world 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. Since 650 B.C., there's also been 1,656 arms races, only 16 of which have not ended in war. The remainder ending in economic collapse of the countries involved. The world's an unstable place, isn't it? You know where you can find security? In Jesus Christ. There's where you can find security. A lot of war, bloodshed, terror in the world. But if the Lord has a hold of your soul, you have no concern. Let me give you the second one. These last two will go a lot faster. The practice of wisdom because it pleases the Lord. Number two in your outlines, the practice of wisdom because it pleases the Lord. Second Roman numeral. You guys have that back there? All right, good. Verse 21 through 26 gives five specific ways to practice wisdom, and they all have to do with loving your neighbor. This is one of those sections I told you about applying the law. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. Now, listen to Leviticus, because I'm going to read it. And then we're going to go back to Proverbs and you're going to see exactly how, these, how this is connected, how Proverbs is applying Leviticus, the law here. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor 
Gather every grape of the vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am Yahweh your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Watch how every single time after he gives a command or a prohibition, he brings them back to who he is, who they are, because they're his covenant people. Verse 13, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your Neighbor, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother with your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love thy neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. And there at the end of verse 18 is the summary of everything that he just said don't do. Summarize verse 9 through verse 17, verse 18 I should say, love your neighbor as yourself because God is God and you are His people. Now turn back to Proverbs 3. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. I'm reading verse 27. When it is in your power, in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow. I will give it to you when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. For a perverse, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, to Yahweh. In verse 28, he says, don't withhold good selfishly. Don't devise evil. In verse 29, don't contend, don't fight. God hates the arguing and contention. In verse 31, don't hate. Slander will ultimately lead to murder. And you do that because it's an abomination to the Lord direct application of those passages that we read in in Leviticus. Let me give you the third one. Trust in wisdom. It will lead you to the end. A hold of wisdom. Don't let it go. Because a wise man has a secure life. A wise man has peace in his soul. A wise man or woman has no reason to fear death. Practice wisdom because it pleases the Lord. You put in practice the law. Here's the way in which you do that. Listed in Proverbs. Because you're God. Because you want to please the Lord. You love your neighbor because you love God. You love God because He first loved you. And then trust in wisdom to lead you to the end. Here's verse 33. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked but He blesses the home of the just. Surely He scorns the scornful, but He gives grace to the humble. 
The wise shall inherit honor, glory, but shame shall be the legacy of, of fools. Look at how he ends this whole section. It's a reminder in those three verses about two paths of life, the wise and the foolish, those who follow after God, those who don't. In those three passages, he says, a foolish life will lead to a curse. Curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. A foolish life will lead to, to scorn. Verse 34, surely he scorns the scornful. In verse 35, a foolish life will lead to disgrace, the shame. It shall be the legacy. The lasting aroma of the life of a fool is shame. It's, it's disgrace. A wise life, though, will lead to blessing. Verse 33, the second part, he blesses the home of the just. A wise life will lead to favor. He gives favor or grace to the humble. In verse 35, a wise life will will inherit honor. Notice how it says in verse 35, inherit and legacy. It's all talking about the end, the summary of our life. Where will a wise life lead? When it's all said and done, there'll be honor that waits you. Where will a foolish life lead? What will be the end there? There'll be a legacy of shame. And right in the middle of there, he reminds us where, where wisdom comes from. Look at verse 34. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace or favor to the humble. Where's the beginning of wisdom? Where does it come from? Fear of the Lord. What does a humble person before God look like? Someone who fears the Lord. Someone who, who acknowledges you're God and I'm not you have the wisdom I do not. Acknowledging He is the source, not up. That's true humility. And then God gives, gives favor to the humble. And the grace of Proverbs is, is wisdom. So get wisdom. And when you lay hold of it, guard it. Is security for life. It'll lead you through life, and in the end, you'll find honor rather than rather than shame. My uncle Bailey, the one that Bailey is named after, asked me to preach his funeral probably about eight years or so before he died. And I said, went to meet with him about it. I said, Uncle Bailey. You know, that's a great honor. I'm happy to do that. Is there anything in particular that you would want me to, to say or point out? It's an old farmer, wise man. And he said, paused there for a second and said, Well, Brian, I, I reckon all that can be said about a man's life will have already been said by my life. So I don't know that there's much else to say other than just preach the Bible. And that's exactly what I did. And I quoted that to the people. And you know what they said? When I talked about the picture, the portrait, what's been said about Uncle Bailey has already been said by his life. Boy, his life said a lot. Life said a lot. You can tell how much it said to me if I named my firstborn son after the man. I want a legacy of, of honor. 
And that only comes from practicing God's wisdom in my life. And that comes from being humble and seeking the Lord. I know that's what you want to.